0: How's everybody this morning? I'm gonna ask you to stand with me please and we'll pray. <clears throat> gonna get into some things that we started in the first service. Uh, there was such a presence of the Lord in the first service on what we were talking about, so. Gonna do it again, the second service, so. I want you to open your hearts. I want you to close your close your eyes. I want you to open your hearts. Open up your posture. Open up yourself. Surrender yourself right now. Let's let's put ourselves... The word to understand is to stand under something. So if you understand, you stand under something. We've been talking about the Melchizedek Priesthood, if you've been here at all, and that's all about the waters from above or the consciousness from above or the mind of God coming into ours. So I want you to just open up your heart right now where the revelation of God is given. And I want you to ask your Heavenly Father right now and ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal truth And Father, on behalf of everyone here, everyone listening, I take my place among them and I ask now, as we stand under the river and the waters that come from heaven, the waters of revelation and understanding and wisdom, and Father, I ask right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, that we will know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power that's at work in us who believe. Father, we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus and Holy Spirit. We invite your ministry to lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I ask today especially that you peel back the veil and allow us to peer into the heavens by revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to read a story. I want to start in John chapter 9 with this story. And then we're going to look at some things out of the book of Ezekiel. And they will be seemingly unrelated, but we'll connect them and tie them together for you. So in John chapter 9, it begins in verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's really important in the story. He was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man... Or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It's important that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with saliva. <laughs> like to see this in a prayer line sometime. He, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with the clay. Aren't you glad the church... I just got to stop there. Aren't you glad the church picked the anointing of oil scripture and not that scripture for anointing the sick? It's the same Bible. I'm just saying. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated Scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing and therefore the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said is not this he who sat and begged and some said this is he and others said he is like him and he said I am he therefore they opened. therefore they said to him how were your eyes open and he answered and said a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. And now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees who also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And then they said to the blind again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes and he said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered him and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. Cool story, huh? I want you to keep that in your mind because we're going to use that as a framework going forward. But I want to look at a couple of things from the Old Testament. First in the book of Psalms. Psalm 137. Psalm 137, verse 1. Now this psalm, is important to realize, was not written during uh, the reign of King David or any of those times. This is written, obviously... After the exile, when they're captives in Babylon, here's what it says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of us. For those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested myrrh saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing in the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. Then he goes on, remember the Lord. So the whole point is this is a psalm of remembrance. And what he says is we would sit by the rivers in Babylon and we would remember Zion as we wept. See it? Now come with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Everybody doing alright? Starting kind of slow, but I promise it'll get good. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, on the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now what did the captives do by the river? What did they do when they were in Babylon by the river? We just read it in Psalms. They remembered. Right? So we know he's sitting by the river of remembrance when the heaven called the river called Chibar, which is the river of remembrance when the heavens opened. Right? Right? Then he goes into this wild vision that is just for, for I, I mean, I remember the first time I read the Bible, you know, through, any of you that have ever done that, maybe read through the Bible in a year or just whatever, decide you're going to read the book of Ezekiel. And I always had trouble with a couple places in the Bible. I always had trouble with the begats. And I remember trying to read the Bible as a, as a young person. And uh, and get into G- Genesis, and it was Adam begat, you know, Abel who begat whoever, and you go down through, and pre- and, I, and I would just get lost in the genealogies, right? Begat, 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 begat. I get bored. Uh, close my Bible, whatever. Go to my mom. My mom would say, "You need to begin in the New Testament." So I open up the New Testament, and I get to the Book of Matthew, and it starts out, "This is the genealogy of Jesus, who was the son of Joseph, who was the son of son of son of son." I'm like, "There's those stinking begats again, right?" And so I would trip over the bagats when I would read the Bible and, and when I would read Ezekiel chapter 1, I would trip over this passage because I, my mind could not make sense out of it. And I don't want to take time to read the whole thing because you'll just look at me in a stupor anyway. If you're like me. Maybe you're smarter than me, maybe you got more understanding than me. But, but so here's the picture. So, so e- Ezekiel's there by the river. Remembering, he's by the river Chibar. Remember, he's a priest, and the heavens open, and he sees this great cloud, and he sees lightning, and then it opens up, and then it turns into like a Stephen King novel, because like these scary-looking things, he starts describing. He he describes this creature that comes out that's got that looks like a man, but has uh, four faces. It's got a face of a lion, a face of a bull. A face of a man, face of an eagle, and then he starts talking about how it's got eyes all over itself. It's got four wings or whatever, and it's got eyes all over itself. So imagine this creature with four heads and 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 feet like calves' feet, but yet yeah, it's a it's it's humanoid, and it opens up its wings and it's like, hey, I'm looking at you. <laughs> you know, it's all these eyeballs. Right. And then and then you get this thing that is a wheel within a wheel and it has eyes all around it. And so it's all about eyeballs and, and and it's just like scary stuff. And so these guys come out and then and then there's this firmament and this sapphire thing. And he looks up. And so anyway, you get the picture, right? And you try to make sense of, of this of this passage. And so several years ago, ooh, I'm just going to kick my shoes off. I'm not going to bother to tie it. Sorry, I don't want to trip. Hope nobody minds. I'm standing on holy ground. So a few years ago, um, I was uh, we had a guest speaker. And it was an evening meeting. And there was just a few of us there. I mean, it was a, it was a really small group. And he's, he's telling these stories and gets into Ezekiel chapter 1 and starts to talk about some of this stuff with Ezekiel's vision. And all I remember was... I was just caught up in this incredible experience at that time. Uh, it was just an incredibly impacting experience. I, I don't want to go into the details of it, but I had a vision. I, I had an open vision at the time. And it really got my attention, right? And, uh, and then we, we go to close. It was just the craziest thing. The message is over, and we go to close. We stand up to close. And it's just one of these things like you do, as a ritual almost, right? Like pray and close and whatever. And, and at that moment, man, this wave of the power of God just hit me. And I just fell over. And, I mean, I, it's just hard to explain or describe the impact of the experience. And I remember I'm just sitting there. And and this like the glory of God just kind of entered the room and everybody got silent. And uh, he the, the guest speaker comes over and all I remember was he lays his Bible on my chest and I burst out speaking in tongues. And I remember it was just coming from the depths of my being. But there were thoughts, you know, kind of that were coming from my heart as a prayer to God that were going with it. And the speaker interprets. The message. Now, normally the way this was has been done in Pentecost, if, if you have someone speaking in tongues and then you have the interpretation, it's a message from God to the people. That's usually how it's profiled. But if you look very closely in the scriptures, it says when it talks about speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and Paul kind of gives guidelines in there, he says that when When someone prays or blesses in tongues, how can the other say amen if they don't know what's being said? So the idea is is that tongues can be a prayer language that comes from your heart to God without the understanding. And so the person who gives the interpretation can be giving the interpretation of a prayer rather than a direct message from God. Does that make sense to you? So he begins to interpret it, and what he interprets is my prayer. He interprets the cry of my spirit, which is crying out for God, crying out for more of uh, of him, crying out towards my purpose and towards my destiny and the things that God had called me to do. And I was completely wrecked after that meeting, completely wrecked. But the vision that I had correlated with Ezekiel chapter 1. So I just became fascinated with Ezekiel chapter 1, and so I started trying to discover you know, anything I could discover about it, and I was shocked at the things that I began to learn about it. And here's why. Because Ezekiel chapter 1 was the most important passage of scripture to spiritual Jews in the time of the second temple when Jesus was alive. I bet you didn't know that. And here's why. you, you, you got to understand, here's what happens with Israel. Israel comes to be a nation because uh, Jacob has 12 sons, right? He gives birth to 12 sons who become the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes. So there's, count them, 12 tribes. Everybody say 12 tribes. So there's 12 tribes of Israel. And they are united as a, a, a nation under Moses. And then they're united as a kingdom under David right? They're united as a nation and basically given a constitution from God for their government to the nation of Israel. Then David unites the whole kingdom. So they, they leave uh, Egypt, they go through the wilderness, they go into the promised land, and the land is divided up by the tribes. So Judah gets this land, uh, uh, Issachar gets this land, Simeon gets this land. Y- you tracking so the nation is divided up by the tribes, and it's united under David, and then Solomon. And then after Solomon, it splits. It splits into two kingdoms, to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In the, in the southern kingdom, you have ten tribes. Count them, ten tribes. And in the northern kingdom, you only have two. You have Judah and Benjamin. Now, David comes from what tribe? David comes from the tribe of Judah. So now they're at war, the ten tribes against the the other two tribes. And then what happens is the Assyrians come in. They totally wipe out the southern kingdom and basically it becomes assimilated. So now you just have the northern kingdom, which is Judah. And it's through Judah that all the messianic promises come. But then Babylon comes, the Babylonians come, and they take them captive and they carry them away into Babylon. They totally destroy the city and they totally destroy the temple. Right? Now, so... Here's the issue. We think that Jews, Jews, are any one of the twelve tribes, and it's not true. Those who are Jews are those who come from the northern kingdom. That's why it's called Judaism. Judaism. It's not Hebraic in the sense that it's all encompassing of all the seed of Abraham. It's strictly Jewish. Are you breathing? So they go into captivity, right, in Babylon, and they have no temple. And here's the thing that's really interesting and fascinating when you read the Bible. When you read the historical accounts of Israel, what is important in Israel is the tangible presence of God, which is in the tabernacle or in the temple, and the king. And the state of the nation is based on the king and his relationship to God. Go read it in Kings. This king did what was right in the sight of God, and God blessed Israel. This king did was that which was evil in the sight of God, and God cursed the land. When David does the thing with Bathsheba and Uriah, and he kills Uriah, are you all tracking with me? He, He kills Uriah, the nation suffers because of the wickedness of the king. So the land reflects the righteousness or wickedness of the king. And Moses is never mentioned. And God promised David, you'll always have a king that sits on your throne. So now the Babylonians come in, they destroy, they cut off the seed of David, they destroy the capital city, they destroy the temple, they destroy Jerusalem, they take them out of the promised land and into Babylon. Now they are a nation in crisis. They have no explanation for what happened. And so what they begin to do, uh, what they begin to do is shift from a kingdom presence orientation to a law orientation under Moses. Moses is not mentioned from judges throughout the rest of the Bible until you get to the Babylonian captivity when Ezra brings them back. Because now they couldn't be the king. So now the blame shifts from the king and his righteous deeds or evil deeds and shifts to the people. And it becomes a system of law and obedience based on national obedience or national disobedience. You see it? Because they're trying to make sense. But here's the other thing that happened. They have no temple. They have no glory. And they believe not only are they in exile from the land, but they're in exile from God. So Ezekiel is a priest. Ezekiel is a priest. Now remember, we're talking about Melchizedek. Ezekiel is a priest who has an open vision. And so here's the reality. What he sees is what the high priest would see when he would go in to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. He would go through the veil, and here's what they believed. Not that he would just be looking at furniture. The Ark of the Covenant and whatever was there. But that he would enter into a gateway that would transport him up into the heavens where he would see the glory of God. So the going through the veil was the symbolic of the opening of the heavens. But it could only take place in the temple. So here's Ezekiel weeping with the children of Israel by the river of remembrance. This is really important. And all of a sudden the heavens are open and he has a vision of God. And he has an experience of God. And so what this did in the mind of the Israelites was God is no longer, God is not bound to a temple made with hands but anyone who engages can have this experience where the heavens open and they see these visions and they experience who God is and that becomes the womb the spiritual womb into which Jesus and the disciples and everything in the in the new testament begins to flow and operate are you tracking with me And this is called the Merkava. Everybody just say with me, Merkava. Now the word Merkava is a Hebrew word that means the chariot. Remember Elijah was taken up into heaven, how? In a chariot, right? So he ascended, right? So what what they say, what the rabbi said Ezekiel was describing, was the chariot throne of God. But this throne is not being carried by horses, it's being carried by wing creatures with eyes all around and foreheads. And this throne doesn't have a regular wheel, this throne has a wheel within a wheel, spinning one spinning this way and one spinning this way so they don't have to turn, they can move whichever way they want to go. You see it? And then above it is the throne, got it? So what what they began to say then, what, what Israel began to try to recover and recapture, what, all, what the Essenes were totally doing was trying to re- have this experience of ascension into the heavens and have these open visions. Now the reason this is important is because there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament that correlates directly to it, including the baptism of Jesus. Because Jesus goes to a river. Now remember, this is what's in their minds. Jesus goes to a river. Where's Ezekiel? At a river. Jesus gets baptized. What happens? The heavens open. What happened to Ezekiel when he was by the river? Right? The Spirit we'll see in a minute enters Ezekiel. What happened when Jesus is baptized? Spirit enters Ezekiel, but he also sees something, he hears something. So for them, Jesus is not just being baptized and getting filled with the Spirit. For them, Jesus is having this experience that they were all trying to have that Ezekiel talks about. Are you all tracking with me? I don't want to lose you. You got it? So our Bibles read, this is how bad our translations get. In Ezekiel, when he sees heavens open, it says living creatures come out. Our Bible says that after Jesus was baptized, He went into the wilderness with the wild beasts. We translate it wild beasts because we're so, we've lost, we've disconnected from the spirituality of the church. The spirituality of what's in the Bible. And we've made everything literal. And so we say he's out there with the wild beasts. I think of my son Josiah, who likes to catch lizards, who likes to catch tarantulas, you know, and so there's Jesus out in the wilderness. Why does the Bible even need to say that? He's out there with the wild beasts, you know, The, 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 the jackals and whatever else they had out there, right? But actually the original word there is, he was in the wilderness with the living creatures. So they wouldn't have thought lizards and and snakes and that. They would have thought Ezekiel and heavenly experiences and open heaven and the living creatures. And that's why it says in there that the angels ministered to him. Right? So Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus, he has this open heaven experience because he had been seeking it. Because as a Pharisee, you had to have a Merkava experience. So he'd been seeking this experience. What was a shock to, to Paul or Saul on, when on the road to you know, Damascus was not that he had an experience in the heavens. It was that it was Jesus who was in the heavens talking to him. <laughs> so it makes making sense to you. Now watch this. So we come to verse Ezekiel chapter 1. We come to uh, verse 25. It says, A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads, the heads of the caribou. And whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne. Everybody say likeness. In appearance like a sapphire stone. Everybody say appearance. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a... Man. He didn't say above the throne was the Lord. He said was the appearance and likeness, if we say likeness, of a man. Got it? Also from the appearance of his waist upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber, the appearance of fire. So fire and light above and within. And then from the appearance of the waist downward, it was the appearance of fire with brightness all around it. Like the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the, everybody say it with me, the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me and then he calls him son of man again. Now here's the point. We, we tend to think, now, now I've been around a lot of believers that are encountering heaven and, and seeking the glory, you know, for 20 some odd years. And we, and we tend to think that when the heavens open and you see the throne, it's, it's the Lord and it's the glory of the Lord and, and it's right for us to think that and there are passages that talk about that and those are accurate experiences that people have. But it's not the experience that Ezekiel's having. Because he goes out of his way to say it's not the Lord and it's not the glory of the Lord. He goes out of his way to say it. He says it's the likeness. It's the appearance. It's the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So what's he seeing? If he's seeing the likeness, what's he seeing? Very interesting because in the Hebrew, guess what word he picks? He picks the same word in the Hebrew that the very first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God says, Let us make mankind in our image and after our likeness. Likeness. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and all this stuff, right? So when Ezekiel looks up, there's no easy way to say this. I don't want to send too many shockwaves. When Ezekiel looks up and he sees in the heavens and he sees this man, but it's not the Lord, it's a man in the likeness of the Lord. And then the voice comes from heaven and what does the voice say to him? Son of man. So here's the way the rabbis understood this and they kept this a secret. They would not talk about it. It was a secret. To this day it's a secret. You have to take vows before you are even taught it. That you won't disclose it. You know what it is they said? They said Ezekiel saw himself. He saw his divine self. He saw his higher self. Just let that settle in for a minute. So here's the point. Here's the point that I've been trying to make for months. At the core of your being, at the core of your essence... Let's see if I can find my notes because I say it so much better in there. Give me just a second. At at your core, at your essence, at your core, you have a divine self. That means it's divine. (laughs) What Ezekiel sees is a man who's full of light upward and full of light downward, radiating light within and around. Seated on a throne in the heavens. Right? So, at your core, you have a light body. At your core, you have a spiritual, divine essence that is the divine spark it is the divine breath that god breathed into adam when he said let us make man in our image and our likeness it is the image of god it is the image of the divine it's inseparable from him and it's also inseparable from you in the sense that you are never disconnected from this vibe, from this um, from this this divine self but you have to understand that this divine self exists at a higher frequency, in a spiritual dimension. The problem is not that in our nature we are disconnected from it. Our problem is that our consciousness has no awareness of it. Because now we're back to the man who was born blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let me ask you a question. How did that man sin before he was born, to be born blind? How is that even possible? I'll just let you think about that. But that's the question they ask. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And how does Jesus answer the question? He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God, what? Might be revealed in him. And then he starts talking about himself coming from the light. For I must work the works of God while I'm here, while it is day, for night comes when no one can work. Watch this. I must work the works of God while it is day, for when night comes, no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then what does he do? He takes you back to the story of Adam. How does he do that, saints? Because he takes clay, he takes dirt from the ground, and he takes water, and he forms something, and he anoints the man's eyes, which means he's taking him back to creation when he was made in the image of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If, did Jesus have to, I mean, think about the way Jesus did the miracle. I mean, this is just rude. This is just flat out rude. You have a beggar sitting by the side of the road. He has no eyeballs. How else could you have known he was born blind? Or he's got some kind of deformity that prevents him from seeing. Right? And he's begging, and he's blind, and he's been that way his whole life. And here comes Jesus, and you're gonna heal the man, and you do the, you do two rude things. You spit which in the, in the Eastern cultures is an insult. Yeah. You spit in the dirt, and then you just plaster this guy's eyes. Pfft. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's rude insult number one. Then to add insult to injury, you tell the blind man, go find the pull of Siloam and wash, and walk off. <laughs> go find a place to wash that muddy spit off your eyes. In the Pool of Siloam. So, root number two, right? Think about it. So why doesn't... If if I'm Jesus, here's how I'm doing the miracle. If I'm Jesus, I'm going to open his eyes in front of everybody so they can see the sign and the wonder. So there'd be no question about who did it. Because Jesus, they, they, they don't even know who did it. Who did it? I don't know. All I know was I was blind and now I see. And he he, he could have opened that man's eyes right then, right? But instead he sends him, why does he do this? Why does he do this? Because there's an important point here. This man has never seen. So he has to go to the trouble of washing in a pool. Why? Why couldn't he just wipe the mud off? I mean, throw it down, spit in his own hands. Why did he have? Why couldn't he get a cloth and wipe it off? Why did he have to wash in a pool? Because what does a pool do? It reflects light. And so when the man washes, this is so beautiful to me, the man is born blind, and he goes and he bends down in the pool, and he washes his eyes. And what happens is the mud clears from his eyes, and he peers into the water. What is the very first image that the man sees? The very first image he sees, he sees himself. He sees himself. Watch the love of God in this. If Jesus had just performed the miracle on the man, when his eyes were open, the first person he would see would be Jesus. But Jesus works the miracle in such a way that the man doesn't see him first. He sees himself. He sees his own image. He sees his own image in a pool called scent. He sees his own reflection in the waters. Think about Melchizedek, what I've been teaching you. The waters from above descend and unite where? In the heart. Creating an open door speaking to your spiritual potentials, awakening them, activating them, creating an open door for the power of the kingdom of heaven to be manifested upon the earth. And here's the most amazing thing about the story saints. I mean, we've done this evangelistically for years. I was blind, but now I see, right? Just as I, I mean, man, and we can preach a message about salvation and all that stuff, but here's the thing. Jesus does not reveal Himself to the man. And this is the sad thing about where the church has been stuck for the last several hundred years is that we've said that the entrance into the kingdom is the knowledge, the cognitive understanding, the understanding, the intellectual knowledge about who the Savior is. And yet here's a man, the Savior did a miracle and He opened His eyes, who said, I was once was blind, but now I see. And Jesus left Himself hidden from the man. He left Himself a mystery from the man. The man didn't even know who He was or what he was about much less about what he was going to accomplish on the cross it doesn't t- if he's really a savior it doesn't depend on your knowledge it depends on what's flowing out of him and what was important to jesus was not that the man saw and knew him but that the man saw and knew himself in his true reflection and it's a story for all of us because you have a divine self that is full of glory you have a divine self that is full of fire of God you have a divine self that is absolutely eternal that is in the heavens seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus like it says in Ephesians chapter 2 the problem is that we've been born blind we've been born blind and we can't see the image of who we really are and we want to know who sin who sinned us or our parents? And in Jesus is like the point is, like like watch this, like, like who sinned? This man or Adam that he was born blind? The issue is not the sin, but watch this, that the works of God might be revealed in him. Watch this. Just, Ephesians two, real quick. <laughs> Just to give you some Bible for this. So when I saw this, totally transformed my life. Totally, totally completely transformed my understanding of humanity. Totally completely transformed my, the way I saw the Bible. Totally completely transformed my understanding of Revelation. Totally completely transformed the way I understood the gospel, the way I saw God, the way I saw myself. Transform, this is a game changing revelation when we can understand this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we also conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh (coughs) fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins He made us alive together with Christ raised us up together past tense made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Past tense. He's not saying you're going to get to heaven when you die. He said when you were made alive with Christ, He raised you up, which is why when the Spirit comes into Ezekiel, it stands Him up on His feet. Because it raises Him up. And He seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in in His kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, this name one should boast. For we are His workmanship. What did Jesus say about the re- the reason the man was born blind? That the works of God, what? Might be revealed in Him. What works? That He could open the eyes of the blind? No! <laughs> The workmanship that he was before the foundation of the world when he was chosen in Christ to be adopted as a son. That the work that had to be revealed in him was the work of the creation of what God did in him when he made him in his own image and in his own likeness. He had to see that first. (sighs) Can you see it? So Ezekiel, when he, when he sees, he sees his, himself, he sees this divine self that's in a different dimension but he couldn't see it before see if you understand that, you go back and read the story of Adam it makes a whole lot more sense because when Adam meets at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's affected? his vision his eyes were open and he knew that he was naked and what did he do? he covered himself with fig leaves what's the next thing he does? He hides Himself. What self does He hide? His higher self. He hides Himself from Himself. He saw Himself, knew that He was naked and was ashamed, and He hid Himself from Himself. And that's the problem. That's the problem in the Bible. Bible. There, there is, there's a book of John that didn't make it into our Bibles because, you know, they decided that you shouldn't be reading it because it was too empowering. And so the church sent out a decree and they said destroy them all. And we wouldn't even have a copy of it, but there was an Egyptian group, there was a group up in Upper Egypt that managed to hide some of the scrolls and they were preserved and they were found in the 50s and it's called the Nag Hammadi Library. And there's a book of, there's a book, there's a book written by the Apostle John where he is distraught He's weeping, he's upset because of the death of Jesus. And Jesus appears to him in his resurrected glory and he says, here's the problem. He says, humanity has forgotten who they are. You have forgotten who you are and you have forgotten who you've come from, where you came from. And so part of the ministry of Jesus is to reawaken your remembrance, which is why Ezekiel, whose name means the one who God strengthens, is sitting at the river called of remembrance. Because it's when he sits at the river of remembrance that he can connect with Zion, he can connect with the temple, but more importantly, he can connect with who he really is, which is a divine son, or in your case, a divine daughter, someone who has the divine spark, someone who has the divine image. And that's the revelation that God has been trying for 2,000 years to get across to us. That's what creation is waiting for. According to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, all of creation is travailing and groaning in birth pains until now. Not for the revealing of of a peace treaty in the Middle East. Not for the revealing of an Antichrist. But he says that all of creation is in birth pains until now. Awaiting the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God because when they are revealed all of creation will be revealed with them But if you're hidden from yourself, if you're not even revealed to yourself, if you don't even know who you are, if you don't know about your own divinity and your own your own divine nature and your own light body, if you will, and the you that exists in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, if you can't connect with that in your consciousness, you cannot manifest it upon the earth. So remember, Jesus said this, I must work the works of God while it is day. Remember, Ezekiel sees a body that's full of light in the heavens. I must work the works of God while it is day, for night comes when no one can work. Let me take you to another story in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Quit reading these things so literally and understand that they're all parables that have spiritual truths that God wants to use to show you who you are. So Nicodemus, whose name means the victory of the people, comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. No one can do the works that you do unless God be with him. But it's night when no one can work. And Jesus says to him, um, we read it unless you're born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But if you have a good Bible and have an asterisk by the word again, and it'll point you on the margin to another word, and literally what Jesus said there was, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. you get it the victory of the people <laughs> comes at night cuz they can't see to a teacher who tells them i can't teach you you have to experience it you have to be born from above in order to see the kingdom you have to be born of the spirit water and the spirit in order to enter the kingdom Being born again is not when you prayed the prayer and signed the card. That's our problem. And, and, and the way we understand being born again is that's when I got my fire insurance. That's when I got saved and became a fundamentalist. I'm just saying. That's how we use it, Right? And you go out in the street and say, you say those born-agains, they're not thinking something full of life and light and radiance. They're thinking something that's damning fun, mentally. Yes. Yes. A fundamentalist. Anyway, all right. Yeah. That went over like a lead balloon. but Or as one of my friends would say, like a turd in a punch bowl. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> all right, just trying to loosen you up a little bit. Watch this. When mom and dad conceive, we don't say they've given birth. When mom's carrying the baby for three months, six months, nine months, we don't say give him birth. We say, oh, let me feel the baby kicking. And dad, let's play Mozart for the baby. And let's talk to the baby. But nothing has been born. Even though there's life. Even though there's existence. Even though there's a person, that person is hidden. That person is not said to be born until they've been revealed in the earth. So think about it. You are not born from above until your higher self unites with your lower self and is manifested, actually pushed through and birthed into the earth. And until that happens, you cannot see the works of the kingdom consistently manifested in your life. Because see, here's back to the story. What did the man do? When the man was born blind, what did he do? What did he do? He sat and begged. I want to tell you, there is a whole culture of Christians, children of God, who all they know how to do is beg to try to get God to do something or give them something that they want. And, and, and all these prayer meetings are just begging sessions of blind people who are cut off from the fact that they are divine in and of themselves. And so they never see the works of the kingdom manifested in their lives. They can read about healing the sick, but they can't heal the sick. They can read about miracles, but they can't have miracles. They can read about the spirit of prophecy, but they can't do prophecy. They can read about visions and dreams, but they can't do the visions and dreams. Because until you've been born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And once you see, you no longer have to beg. Once you see that you're divine, who are you going to pray to? Yourself? I said that for a little shock value. Jesus didn't say, pray to God and ask Him to move the mountain. Jesus said, if you have the faith of God, we read it faith in God, but it's a bad translation. It's the faith of God. If the faith that's in God gets awakened in you, if the faith nature that's in God begins to manifest the faith nature in you, the faith nature in you begins to manifest the faith nature in God, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. If you had faith as a seed, you could say to this bush, be plucked up and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Why? Because Adam, when he's operating in the fullness of the image of God, has dominion over all the works of God's hands. It's in the book. Go read it. So we're sitting here waiting for God to do something, like beggars, blind beggars on the street, begging for the crumbs that will fall from the master's table, waiting for something that's going to happen, when all along what God is trying to do is awaken the divine spark inside you and fan it into flame so that your higher self connects with your lower self, so that your self is not hidden anymore from the presence of God. So that the lower consciousness meets the higher consciousness. So that the mem of Mel, if you go back to my past teachings, the mem consciousness of Melchizedek meets the mem consciousness of Abraham and is brought together and exalted, born from above. So if all... Okay, so let's make it practical. If all you ever affirm is your humanity and your situation you will stay in the dark you will stay hidden and that will be all you ever experience or manifest in the earth if all you ever say this is real and this is true and this is my experience is what's going on with your five physical senses we don't even understand the five wounds of Christ why did he have to be wounded five times at the place of the skull Jesus was crucified where? Golgotha, Calvary, right what do those words mean? place of the skull he had five wounds two in his hands, two in his feet, one in his side, why does he have five wounds at the place of the skull? because you have five senses (laughs) and until you experience the pain of denying your five senses in order to affirm a higher truth about yourself, you'll never be able to be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. I'm talking about being born from above, manifesting it right here in the earth, right now, to work the works of God while it is day, because the sun is shining out of you. That you manifest the day when your light body gets activated and turned on and manifests the light of God through you so that you become a doorway through which the works of God can be worked by you, through you, and for you. But until you can affirm something, until you can say yes to something that, that that's not right in front of you, your five physical senses, as though it's true and feel like it's true and have the conviction that it's true and... and You'll never manifest the works of God. So you have to be able to affirm. So here's Ezekiel. Here's Ezekiel weeping, thinking about what once was. Stuck in regret. A spiritual being trapped inside a human experience. And God says, the the answer is I've got to open the heavens and I've got to show you there is a greater reality out there than the reality that you're experiencing with your five physical senses. There is a reality where there are spiritual beings and spiritual creatures. There is a reality where there is a throne. But see, here's the issue. We think we're cut off from that reality. We think we have to die to get into that reality. You go to heaven when you die. And that's the issue for Ezekiel. Does God no good to show him angels and living creatures and all this stuff if he doesn't also see himself participating in those higher realms? And then God says, stand up, but he doesn't stand up. The Spirit comes into him and stands him up. But but, it's there, but but there's a key here because you have to set your intention. So you have to affirm it's real. I'm divine. I have a divine nature. Uh, it's real. I have a self that exists at a higher frequency in a hidden dimension that I have not yet discovered. It's real and it's true. It's real that I'm surrounded by an innumerable company of angels. It's real that the presence of God that's full of love and light and wisdom and power is con- connected. connected to me right now until it's connected to you you're just a blind beggar by the side of the road begging God hoping because he's got all the power but when you get the revelation that you have a divine self when you get the revelation that you have a higher self when you get the revelation that you are divine that you have power that you have ability that you can work miracles that you can heal the sick that you can manifest the works of God until you get that revelation that you have angels and a spiritual team attending to you Night and day, until you quit living in the in the in the in the trash pile of religious condemnation, scrutinizing every lustful thought and every wrong thought or feeling, thinking that somehow it disqualifies you from your divine nature. You're like Adam, you you, you hiding yourself in the trees of the garden with fear and shame on the dung heap of religious excrement. And affirming that, I'm just a worm. Affirming that, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Affirming that, well, who knows what God's going to do. You never know what He's going to do because His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Or you can wake up to who you are and who you've always been from eternity past and who you'll always be into eternity future. You were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world to be received the adoption as sons. When do you receive the adoption of sons? When the heavens open and you hear the voice of God and the Spirit enters into your heart and you get a revelation of who you are and you begin to bring it forth by affirming it and speaking like it and acting like it and manifesting it in the earth. It takes some mental work to sit there and say, how would I handle this situation if I really believed I was divine? How would I walk into this situation? How would I think about this situation? How would I talk about this situation? And you begin to align your actions. You begin to align your words. You begin to align your thoughts. You begin to align your feelings with your higher self. And when you do that, you create a doorway out of which the power of God can begin to manifest. We waste our time begging God for things when we could be spending our time adjusting our own thinking about who we are so that we could truly be born from above children of God, then you can go wherever you want, because here's what Jesus said, he he said the children that are born of the Spirit, the wind blows wherever it wishes and nobody can tell where it's come from or where it's going, there's no predictable pattern to it, it's not being tossed to and fro with the winds of life and waves of life, good day when things are going good and bad day when things are going bad good day when I just had a miracle bad day, where are you God, it's so dark out here But you become a child of the Spirit. And the wind, like the wind, you can go where you wish. I desire this, I can manifest this. I desire that, I can manifest that. I want to go up into heaven, I can go up into heaven. I want to go... Fishing, I can go fishing. And it's all holy. Stop judging yourself, stop condemning yourself, stop hating yourself, stop beating up on yourself, stop talking about what you can can't do. Start affirming something else and your whole life will change. Just start with Ephesians 2. I've been made alive together with Christ. I've been raised up with Him and I've been seated with Him in heavenly places. Make that your mantra for the next 30 days. Every day. Every time you get up. Every time you think about it. Every time you go to bed. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That 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 the riches of His glory and grace could be manifested in the ages to come through me on the earth. That'll change your life. You'll start facing things with confidence. You'll start facing things with boldness. You'll start believing that the supernatural, it can be a reality and a possibility for you. You can start believing that there really are angels and, and, and spiritual beings all around you filled with light that are there to help you and support you. And you'll stop begging God. When I saw that, I saw this about being seated in heavenly places 28 something years ago. And it shocked me when I saw that it was in the past tense. And I've told you a story, but some of you haven't heard it, and this is where I'll close. I got frustrated with my life. I didn't like where I was going. Somebody taught a message, if you hear the Word and you do it, you're going to be blessed and build your house on a rock. If you hear the Word and you don't do anything with it, your house is going to go down the tubes. It has nothing to do with God and His will. It has to do everything to do with what you decide to do with the information that you hear, whether you decide to act on it or not. And so I was like so filled with Christian knowledge, I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went and got along with God, and I've got my Bible open. I'm like, God, you've got to show me something that I can do. And I'm expecting fast for three days. Go shovel the neighbor's yard and tell them about Jesus. But this is what we're taught in churches. give, Give money to the church or some missions organization or something. Go tell your friend about Jesus. Go to church more. Pray. Read your Bible. That's what I'm expecting to hear. And I'm opening up my Bible and I start reading through. And, and it's like God just somehow managed to highlight Ephesians chapter 2 to me. And it, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I kept looking at all this stuff in the New Testament. And it was all about things that God had done for me and God had done in me. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. If God be for you, who could be against you? If God who did not even spare His only Son, how will He not also give you freely all things? And I'm like, how am I supposed to do this? I'm looking for something that I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And that still small voice of the Holy Spirit said, said, Aaron, you misunderstand. Doing the Word is not this works-oriented slavery system. Doing the Word is getting a revelation of what's true about you and then acting in the earth as though it's really true. And he said to me, how would you be different if you really believed that you were seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? And I remember saying to myself, one thing's for sure, I would pray a whole lot differently. How would you act in a situation where you felt powerless if you really believed if God be for you, who could be against you? What would you go after in life if you really believed that if God did not spare even His only Son, how will He not also freely give you all things? What would you start to go after? How would you live differently? How would you walk into a room differently? How would your self-talk change? How would you change the people that you meet if you really believed that they were just as royal and noble as you are? Totally changed my life. Went and shared up with my pastor. He got all confused, pulled out a couple commentaries, started flipping through pages, got real nervous and shook up. Because religious systems always get upset when Jesus causes the blind to see something they haven't seen before. I hope this helped you this morning. I mean, some of you, if I could just take you and, and make you feel good about yourself for one week, your whole life would change. <laughs> really. Make you feel like you're capable and valuable and important. And Let's stand up. I hope this helped you. It went long. Are you starting to see some stuff with this Melchizedek stuff that we've been doing? I hope so. If you close your eyes, I want you to imagine a bright light radiating, coming from the heavens. Bright light. Starts out small and begins to come towards you. <clears throat> and I want you to see an image of the glory of the Lord, however you would imagine that, begin to manifest. And I want you to see in that image a throne. And I want you to go ahead and see Jesus on that throne first. I want you to see Jesus on that throne. I want you to see the angels attending to him, ministering to him. Now, I want you to do something funny. I want you to do as it were. I want you to close your inner eyes, almost like your inner eyes are blinking. I want you to close your eyes so that you don't see that image. And when you reopen your eyes, you're going to see the bright light again, and you're going to see the throne. But this time, I want you to see yourself seated on that throne. I want you to see yourself seated on that throne. And I want you to see now yourself on the throne. And I want you to notice from the waist up, you begin to see a fire burning within and around. Until that you that you see seated on the throne is full of light and fire. And then I want you to see yourself from the waist down. And I want you to see from the waist down yourself on that throne being filled with light and fire. And I want you to say in your heart to yourself, I connect myself with my higher self. I connect myself down here with my Divine Self. And I align myself. I align myself with who I really am. And I ask, Father, for the angels of heaven, all the holy beings that are sent to help us and minister to us and for us, to surround your people. In bathe their consciousness in light and love and power and mystery and bring forth the divine spark and the divine seed inside of every single person. Father, let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn up in our consciousness shame, burn up in our consciousness condemnation, burn up in our consciousness guilt and can't do and limitations and all that stuff until there's nothing but the divine life radiating inside of us. And Father, I ask this humbly in the name of your Son and Servant, Jesus of Nazareth, Christ and Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Take a deep breath. I hope you feel good about yourself. I'd encourage you to get this, and I think we'll put it together with this morning's message and just make it a little package in and of itself Um, listen to it over and over let it penetrate if you really want to get somewhere with god if you get this it will change everything for the better i promise i've experienced it i've lived it